0: I'm Jeff Gibson
1: and I'm Shanna Paxton
0: and we are the the movie movie lovers Lovers. welcome to the official podcast of the Gibson review in each episode or most episodes we kick it off with the week in review what we have been watching since the last episode in movies and TV Move on to the main event, which is the main topic of discussion or main review, and typically finish things off with a third segment called Film Phase, wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This episode is going to give Film Faves a rest, because the main event, after a pretty hefty week in review, we have a lot of movies that we've been watching to catch up with with you, uh, we will be discussing the year so far. Yes, we are halfway through the year. Can you believe it? It's and. Crazy. So, yes, it is time to take a look at how the year is shaping up and uh, what the wor- worst and the best so far are. So we'll dive into that a little bit later. But first, let's start off the week in review. With Shanna's week. Shanna, you mm. have completed something after a long journey. Would you like to share with us something what that is?
1: Massive. <laughs> this is a a show that started in two thousand and five and went all the way to twenty seventeen. It is bones. Two hundred and forty five episodes total. This was a show that survived the writer's strike. Mm. Well, is it better to say endured?
0: I suppose. Either way. Because,
1: you know, the writers weren't wrong. They needed more money. I don't
0: know. Better treatment. Sure. But did that season itself survive unscathed from the writer's strike?
1: So I believe that particular season ended up with 16 episodes as opposed to its normal... I think at the time it was getting 20 episodes a season. Yeah, so. that's
0: pretty good, actually, for a network show. But uh, you, you actually finished. So you've been actually re-watching the episodes you've seen before. How long ago did you start this journey of starting way back at the beginning again and all the way to the end and finishing for the first time?
1: I just wanted to correct myself real quick. The first and second season got either 22 or 21 episodes each. And when season three happened, it got 15. Oh, uh, you weren't far so, off. So not too far, but I thought I would correct it seen as how I had the opportunity. This is a show that, I mean, my friends and I loved it in high school. It was it was amazing. Mm. This made one of my friends want to be a forensic and medical doctor, a coroner. Uh-huh. And it was it was just such a cool show. Mm. It stars... Emily Deschanel, David... How do I say his name? David Boreanaz?
0: I think you're close. I think it is like David Boreanaz.
1: Michaela Conlon, TJ Thine, Tamara Taylor, John Francis Daly. And there's just so many people that end up coming to the show Uh over time. Patricia Belcher is one of my favorite. Michael Grant Terry, Eugene Bird, who's also in uh, a couple episodes of Arrow. Uh, as the brother of...
0: Um, oh, 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 yeah, John. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, brother mm-hmm. of John.
1: There are so many That's right, you were excited faces. when that
0: happened. I forgot about that.
1: Yeah, you will see a lot of different people in the show. Uh, one of my favorite appearances uh, is John Francis Daly, who I had been introduced to through Bones, and then you showed me Freaks and Geeks, and then it was just so much sweeter. Yeah. So I had watched up to season eight uh, season six of this show live, and then I stopped watching for a while, mm. and began watching when it all became available on Netflix. And then it got taken off Netflix, and so I was like, "Well, fuck." And then it it was about to finish, and I was like, "Okay, well now I can't catch up to finish it live." Ah, okay. And eventually, it came onto Amazon Prime, and I think we I think I've been watching it for maybe a year and a half.
0: Has it, okay. Does that sound about right? I, I have no idea.
1: Um, you know, because it's my—it's my definitely kitchen, been during
0: the pandemic.
1: Yes, it's my okay. kitchen show. I get to watch a show on the Echo while I'm doing stuff in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and it's perfect because I had watched most of the seasons and was catching up. It had been so long that I needed to start all over again, so that's why it's taken such a long process. Mm-hmm. So and, a year
0: and a half, roughly, mm-hmm. to watch twelve seasons. Yeah. Okay.
1: And. I finally finished it, and the shitty thing is, it got taken off of Prime, but it got put on Hulu. So then I had to figure out how to make that work. And because
0: Hulu's not available on an Amazon Echo, Echo.
1: I don't know if there's a way to do it. But anyway, moving on. I love this show. This is one of those shows that lost it a very long time. It seems like everybody had a chance to produce it if they had been on the show for a while, Mm. and that. It just felt like this labor of love. Eventually, mm. like you could tell that people cared, and you know when certain characters would have either incidents happen to them or if a character would die, it it was so gut wrenching. Whether it was just an incident or a death, mm-hmm. it it I cared so much for them. Uh, yes, it's is it serialized. The word okay,
0: so it has a continuing story. It it's not episodic.
1: You know, it has its routine because this show is about a team that is solving murders either, either that just happened
0: mm-hmm.
1: or happened years ago. Okay. Through the FBI skills of Seeley Booth, through the forensic anthropology of Bones, Nicknamed Bones, uh, who is Dr. Brennan. And then they have a bug guy and, you know, someone who's familiar with spores, molds, and fungus and bugs. And then they have someone who is uh, specialized in art and is able to give a skeleton their face back and therefore better identify them Mm. a little quicker. And then they have their corner. So they have all these different moving parts and then they have interns that you know rotate so you get to figure out who's your favorite intern and Mm. um that's that's there's a lot of moving parts to the show so it's not boring by any means and sometimes there's a bad guy i think my favorite season i can't pick just one season Mm. i think it's more of the first three seasons i love but then you know later i think it's season six i love too Mm. uh this show ended well after being around for so long, they were able, you know, you can feel in the last season, things are starting to get rushed a little bit,
0: mm.
1: but not in a bad way. Mm. And, you know, somewhere along the lines, like season 11 or 10, they do a fun, uh, we're going to pretend we're in a Hollywood movie and mm. take our format of our show and turn it into like Hollywood, catch a thief t- sort of style. So it stuck the landing very well. mm and I appreciated it, and i it's definitely a show worth watching till the end. And it's a great show if you're into crime, but you don't want it to necessarily be brutal. Mm-hmm. So it's not as brutal as Major Crimes, major, I mean as... Uh,
0: criminal Minds?
1: Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. And... It's a little more balanced in that we're seeing all the moving parts that it takes to solve a murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not as like detective focused as major crimes. Okay. It's it's more balanced and rounded. Oh. And I think that's unique about it. Uh, we've got Rizzoli and Owls out there, but those are two people, uh-huh. really,
0: right. with
1: a couple of others. Uh, but I really like this one.
0: Very cool. So that is the entire series of is phones. It, yeah,
1: it's available on Hulu to binge watch go for it
0: all right and that is all for your week in review and now it is time for my week in review i will say that i finally finished watching the last of the roger moore james bond movies is taking me thanks to many life obstacles <sighs> A ridiculously long time just to watch seven movies it's actually frustrating for me (laughs) because I thought you know it's taken like two or three episodes worth of this podcast when I thought it would take one episode worth Mm. since we release every other week so I finally finished that and I'm hoping by the time you're hearing this it is uh, my article where I review all those seven movies and rank them is uh, finally available for you to read Go to thegibsonreview.com to find the James Bond A Review series of articles. And hopefully I will have the next article, Dalton and Brosnan, done in the near future. Not a month from now. Uh, And then the other thing I saw that's worthy of note In terms of trying to catch up with releases this year, I caught up with Cyrano, which is a Joe Wright film. He of Atonement and Hannah and a lot of period pieces starring Peter Dinklage as Cyrano de Bergerac. This is an adaptation of not only the play Cyrano de Bergerac, but apparently someone made a musical version of Cyrano de Bergerac called Cyrano. And it adapts that into film. And I did not know that that even was a thing. And that happened. And apparently members of a band called The National helped write some of the music for this. This film... It had a single, it had like an LA premiere in December for one week. It ran for one week in one theater in Los Angeles, but then it had its actual, apparently actual release in late February after Valentine's Day uh, across the world. And it bombed, apparently. Nobody really was interested, apparently, in seeing a musical version of Serenade de Bergerac with Peter Dinklage.
1: I'm perfectly happy to see Peter Dinklage. I am definitely not a fan anymore of, like, period pieces, and then they're singing too. Like, I'm not interested in that.
0: Huh. Interesting. I wonder what ruined that for you. So it stars also <laughs> Haley Bennett, Calvin Harris Jr., and Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn's the only one of those three. three that i'm familiar with he has a kind of an opposing love interest type role so this movie i saw the trailers and i was like oh this could be great and joe Wright, he's a pretty good director sometimes he misses from what i understand he did anna karenina and that's got really mixed reception i i I didn't end up seeing that one but maybe this one will be great and i think this movie is good i think Mm. i think it's it is not the knock out of the park that I hoped for. I really was like, oh, man, the music could be something that you get swept up in, and, and it could be very stirring. And it doesn't really reach those heights. I think Peter Dinklage is the bomb. He is such, <laughs> such he is. an excellent actor. I mean, <laughs> he's one of the best actors we have today, working today. And he does an excellent job here. He's fantastic. I think part of the story of Cyrano de Bergerac requires you to be willing to kind of go with the flow Mm -hmm. of the mechanics of the story, which sometimes requires you to accept love at first sight and that someone could easily not recognize the voice of someone they've known for their entire life things like that kind of can be hard to swallow these days and really kind of just run with. And I'm not entirely sure that the music really gelled with the story Mm. and was really on the level of like, well, it definitely was not on the level of some of the greatest musicals of the past 20 years. So I think, this film, I give it a recommendation, but I give it like a seven out of ten because it's not great. It's just like the performances are there, and and if you are familiar with the story, you'll like the film. Uh, but uh, and it, you know, it is a tragedy if you're actually familiar with the play, which I have actually seen a stage production of of Cyrano de Bergerac, so I'm I'm familiar with it. Hmm and it try it does make some changes but it's it's fairly faithful from my understanding of the actual play. So it's worth checking out but just lower expectations. It's not going to it's not likely to be your favorite musical. Hmm. It's no Moulin Rouge or many others of of late. So that's Cyrano and that concludes my week in review. And now it's time
1: for our weekend review.
0: Yes. And you know what, Shanna? Mm. In our last episode, our review of Firestarter, wherein we counted down our favorite horror novel adaptations. If you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check it out. We did not have a weekend review. And we completely forgot about something that we watched around that time.
1: I mean, guys, it's been a crazy month. So. We finished watching Disney Plus's Moon Knight.
0: Yes, Marvel Studios' Moon Knight. Yes, on Disney on Plus.
1: On Disney Plus.
0: Yes. Uh, we had <laughs> talked about the the first couple episodes of it, and we were going to check back in with our thoughts on the series on the whole and and whatnot. Shiano, what did you think of the series Moon Knight?
1: You know, we just spent some time with family, and they had asked me, what did you think of Moon Knight? And I couldn't gather my words I loved seeing Oscar Isaac I'm having a hard time coming up with a succinct opinion about this because I sort of feel conflicted I sort of feel like I had a snack but half my snack got taken by a toddler like does that make sense I don't feel exactly fulfilled by this show and I don't feel like I have a path as a show by itself I'm like oh this is fun and interesting because we we have Egyptology, we have the gods of Egypt being represented. And unfortunately, I can't say, like, are they doing a good job of it? I enjoyed seeing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But whether or not they're doing a good job of it, I don't know. I liked seeing Oscar Isaac and his different personalities that are represented in the show. And I I like the idea of it being like, this is not for kids. Like, we're going to show you blood. We're going to show things blowing up and people suffering so i like that we were moving into a, a more it's not as extreme but like hey let's move into a more watchman phase of marvel here uh with this show it's not as extreme but no not it's, nearly it's like let's take a little baby step towards that and and that's what i liked You're is, saying it's a
0: little more mature it's a little
1: more mature yeah so uh does it stick the landing i'm not sure if it does and do i feel like it's going to meet up with everything else that's happening. I I don't see it meeting up with everything else. I don't know how this is gonna how this is gonna go down.
0: Yeah, so I'm I was mostly with the show and on its side all up until the last two minutes of it. I think there's a lot I, I think it's very different. I think it's doing some unique stuff. I think it's a very unique character or set of characters. You basically have like Sort of in a way. What if Indiana Jones had split, had multiple personality disorder, and was a superhero kind of thing? In in the sense that you have the setting, there's some satisfying stuff that happens with a supporting character in it that I didn't see coming. But the last two minutes were baffling. This is the only limited series in this whole experiment of having limited series that bridge the gap to the next set of movies that left me kind of confused and baffled by how this is possibly going to fit into the bigger picture. When is it going to pay off? And also just from a writing perspective, the way the show resolves in the last two minutes, it's just like, why would you from a writing perspective do what they did like they they, why
1: do you do the things you do
0: like (laughs) they have a very significant scene in the mid-credits that seems to be a very significant part of the story like presumably a story ends when the credits roll and then typically in Marvel history the credit scenes help bridge you to what's happening next or, you know, suggest something's coming. And instead, they have a very significant scene that's part of the overall story that happens in the credits. And I'm baffled by that decision just from a writing perspective and it kind of lost me right there at the ending. So this is the first Mm -hmm. Lemon series that I feel did not stick the landing and left me kind of like, huh... And, you know, very dissatisfied. And I I just, I absolutely have no idea how this thing makes any sense in the overall MCU. It it feels very much an island unto itself, unlike everything else we have seen. So, like the show overall, very baffled with where we're left with it. So, Mm. I'm kind of overall give the show a 7 out of 10. Hurt mostly by the ending of the series. How about you?
1: Man, that's a difficult one. I'd, I'd probably I'd probably rate it a five just because of...
0: Wow, okay.
1: Maybe it'll make more sense after we see more stuff. I don't know. But as it is alone, yeah. it's a five.
0: Yeah. All right, so that's Moon Knight on Disney Plus and our thoughts catching up with it uh, or catching up to our thoughts with it. Next, we caught up with... Robert Eggers the Northman his third film I believe he did the witch before and he did the lighthouse both highly critically acclaimed and highly acclaimed by cinephiles making Robert Eggers one of the most unique voices in art house and horror cinema too you know with the consideration of the witch now we have the northman northmen which is ostensibly about a, a norse warrior who wants to who basically lives his life by the entire mission of avenging his father's death saving his mom and killing the one responsible for both killing his father and stealing his mom And attempting to kill him, too, actually, as a child. It stars Ethan Hawke, just like Moon Knight does, actually. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, and Anya Taylor-Joy Chiefly. Shanna, this is your first Robert Eggers film. Mm. Tell me what your thoughts are of The Northmen.
1: They don't hold back, and I'm okay with that. Because in its own unique way, this was a very brutal time that this story is happening in, mm. where no one is safe. Even if you're a king, more so, you're you know.
0: You more could unsafe. be on a fishing trip yes. with your son one morning, and <laughs> someone could just ride by and yeah. shoot you with an arrow for fun. Yeah.
1: So it's a, hard, it's a hard watch. I am done watching British stories of this time.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I rather enjoyed seeing a Nordic story during this time because I felt I felt like we got to have this window into what their gods are like and how their worshiping styles might have been. and because uh, it varies from place to place. It seems it kind of felt like uh, I get to pick and choose my gods according to where we are and what we're doing. Hmm. It felt a little like that, and I could be wrong. I I loved the costuming, the performances. Mm-hmm. I liked the cinematography. There was just one technique where I was like... That you and didn't it's, like. Yeah, it's, it's when they kind of focus on one tiny, tiny piece of detail, whether it's the eyes or even eyelashes, and they throw everything else out of focus. And I think it's to... Uh, it looks a particular way when you're you're in a setting and you're just blurring everything out. It looks natural, mm. but if you're manipulating imagery together to make something that's never been seen before, it's a way to hide your your editing and composi- compositing of those those elements. And that there's a family tree that gets shown, uh-huh. and that is that is definitely not going to hold up. Oh, yeah. Uh, In my opinion.
0: Well, it could be because of budget. I don't know what the budget is. Oh, sure. No,
1: without a doubt. In general, (laughs) I like this film.
0: Yeah. uh, It's interesting. You know, I have seen Robert Eggers' previous films, and so I kind of knew what to expect going in. And from the first minute, I'm like, oh, yep, we're in a Robert Eggers movie. (laughs) It just, it has this like uneasiness, it has this discordant score, you know, this this austerity to it. It seems like it tries hard to be very period accurate. And by the way, the budget for this film was seventy to ninety million. So actually it was not a cheap film. So I don't know if the how much worse of that was put into the effects of which there are actually a lot of visual effects in this mm-hmm. film, because there's a lot of supernatural stuff that occurs and stuff with gods. But I think what's fascinating about this film is it's marketed as though it's some sort of a warrior epic mm-hmm. with like uh, battles and set pieces la la Braveheart or something. And it, it has battles, but it's not interested in like really reveling in that stuff. It's more matter of fact about most of it. It's not intended to be a thrilling film. It's very much like as you said, it it, it depicts fairly accurately that these were pretty brutal and pretty harsh and shit. <laughs> and you know, you yeah. could be having a good day and all of a sudden in five minutes, your family's dead. It's 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 pretty rough. So it's definitely not four-quadrant viewing by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also like Ra Egger's uh, most accessible film in a way because it's not as... I'll well, tell you what. It's not as difficult or challenging mm. as something like The Lighthouse is.
1: I will tell you that I still won't watch The Witch because oh, man. it's so difficult... For me to see how the archetype of witch is used. And if it's used in a particular way, I'm cool with it. And if it's used in a way that is like witches are evil. Yeah. Um, I'm not into that. I'm like, no Okay. Well, yeah. And that's just a personal thing. So but I did like how supernatural Um, how gods were depicted and how Uh sorcery was depicted Uh in this film. I really enjoyed that. It felt all really purposeful, not like I'm going to scare you or whatever. And I don't know if that's what happens in the witch, but
0: well, I think that the witch is probably Edgar's best film so far still. Mm. But I think that this is one of the best movies of, of the year so far, Mm -hmm. because just the production design, the, the uh, attempt at authenticity, uh, seems pretty rich, and I think also, like, this is a film where you, th- you think one way going through it, and then after, at a certain point, things get a little gray, and it starts to make you question, okay, who is, th- who is in the right in this situation? And I really appreciated... Mm-hmm what happens like halfway or so through the film and it it doesn't become as simple as you might expect it to be so there's a lot to dig into a lot to appreciate about the northman i highly recommend it i give it an eight out of ten
1: yeah i agree with that assessment i think that uh the eight out of ten is great i wouldn't mind owning this film because i think you know the more you watch it the more you'll pick up on And the more you'll see different perspectives and how it's all gray. It's all just people trying to survive as best they can.
0: Absolutely. Now we have to move on because we have three more movies to talk about here. One of them being uh, something that is even more inaccessible than The Northman, which is Alex Garland's Men. It's kind of like... Almost a three or four hander movie, really, because it primarily just stars Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. And then there's her ex-husband character and then her best friend character. And that's pretty much the entire character list of this film. Ostensibly men is about a woman who goes out into the country after uh, uh, suffering a terrible tragedy and being terrorized by men while while trying to have this, you know, period of recovery. So that doesn't go well. Shannon, what did you think of men? You've seen Alex Garland's other movies. I believe he has only directed Ex Machina and Annihilation unless there's something I'm forgetting. You're a fan of Annihilation especially. I think, did you like Ex Machina? I actually did not. Okay.
1: And I can't remember what my reasons were, but okay. no, I was not into that one.
0: Okay, so did you like men more
1: than Ex Machina? And-
0: Yeah, and uh, and even Annihilation. What did you think of Men?
1: There's a reason we had a double feature this weekend, starting with Men and then chasing it with Top Gun too. And I knew from the trailer that there were going to be feelings that were completely relatable that would be stimulated as I watched this film, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, There's a lot to relate to with this character. You don't necessarily have to have a tragic event like hers happen to be able to relate to absolutely everything she's going through in this horrible village that, you know, in this film, we have three women and multiple men. And so it's this village that has one woman that we see for just a few minutes. And then we have our main character in the village. And then she's video calling her friend. Mm-hmm. So we don't see a lot of women,
0: which makes sense for a movie called Men. Like it seems a little about, on the known, well, on the nose.
1: It's about how men are jerks to women and creepy and inappropriate mm-hmm. and disgusting and not in touch with how you should treat other humans in a human way. Mm. And there's a lot of themes happening here. It, it's not a surface level movie. There's a lot of symbolism happening. There's a lot of stuff that's connected to uh, little bits that are happening. And I think it's a really great film. Uh, it is tense to watch the first time. It's kind very like,
0: unsettling. Yeah,
1: kind of like Get Out is, you know. It's it's mm. it's freaky to watch the first time. And then you you watch it again and again, and you appreciate all the little elements that make up the film. And I think that's what's going to happen with this. I need to watch it again okay. so that I'm more relaxed and not afraid. Mm. You know, what's wonderful about this movie is, yes, she's going away on a trip to to heal. Mm-hmm. And she's just appreciating the nature. She's appreciating mm-hmm. sounds. She's appreciating being one with herself and nature in different ways through sound and sight. Mm-hmm. And then it gets spoiled mm-hmm. by men. Mm-hmm. And that is totally what women go through at some point, if not daily, in their lives. Hmm. We're just minding our own business, doing our own thing, and we're not there for you. So what did you think of it?
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to praise this movie or not. Your point about Get Out, I think Get Out is way more audience-friendly than this film is. I think that... This is not a movie for everyone. It is probably Alex Garland's weirdest film, and I, yeah, it's. I th- you're giving me a look. I think it's weirder than Annihilation by far, and and actually, I I don't. It, Annihilation was not an original work. That was based on a short story. I think Men is. I don't think it's based on anything, and. I I don't know. Um this movie I'm not sure if I think this movie is too on the nose about what it's doing. You don't see a variety of representations of men, you know, ostensibly it is a bunch of men terrorizing this woman. It takes a turn and there's a weird element that happens during the movie and you when you, you know, you start to notice something about these men. And you're like, huh? Is this a a metaphor? Because this character doesn't seem to be noticing or calling out this thing. And then like the third act gets, seems to be getting really metaphorical and weird. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I give this movie a marginal recommendation at this point. I give it a six out of 10 because it is definitely doing something different from most movies. And I'm just not sure if the execution is there or not. I, I, it's a movie to chew on in terms of figuring out your feelings about what it's saying and how well it says what it's saying.
1: I give it an 8. There's a lot there. I want to watch it again. I thought it was a great film when I was referencing Get Out. Just with the, the viewing experience, like not being afraid anymore the second time or uh-huh. third time. However long it takes.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that is men. We have two more movies to get to really quickly here. The first is the original Top Gun. Now, this is a movie that was had a huge presence in my life growing up, not personally, but just societally and pop culture. This is, like, one of the most popular movies of the 80s. It's a film that stars Tom Cruise, launched him into superstardom. It stars Anthony Edwards, Val Kilmer, Meg uh, Ryan at the beginning of her career, and Kelly McGillis. It stars a famous Kenny Loggins song. It stars a famous Berlin song. It's about...
1: It's it's a famous soundtrack for sure.
0: Yes, it was actually one of the top selling soundtracks of all time for a really long time, and it's a it's about a guy who gets thrown into this uh, little aspect of the Naval Air Force that is nicknamed Top Gun, which is the best of the best of the best of the best pilots, basically, and his training in in this school essentially. And, and the relationship he ends up having with his instructor and all this sort of stuff. Shanna, this is your first time seeing Top Gun. What would you think of it? We'll get to the sequel <laughs> in a bit. But what would you think of the first film?
1: Oh, I'm so not into it. It's so macho, egotistical, testosterone everywhere. Look at me, look at me, look at me, testosterone. It's, <laughs> it's very much... Of its, of its time in a way. It's got very saturated filters. Uh, the cinematography is very particular. Everything is just too much, too much saturation, too much testosterone, too, too, too much of the wrong thing and not enough of the right thing to ground it enough. And too much take my breath away. <sighs>
0: definitely too much of that i could not believe within the first hour of this film which by the way only runs and you know 10 minutes shy of two hours the first half of this movie that song played five times Mm -hmm. i Mm counted five Mm -hmm. times and twice i believe the danger zone played so the huge heavy overuse of the same song. Mm-hmm. You are lucky if you can get away with playing the same song twice mm-hmm. in a movie. I would argue this year's The Batman didn't quite get away with doing oh, yes. that. You know? But to play the yes. same song 5 times in 55 <laughs> minutes is insane. So yes, that's nuts. But uh, I, I should also notice uh, or, or mention Tom Skerritt, Michael Ironside, Tim Robbins, a very young Taron Robbins, Clarence Gilliard Jr., and Aiden Paz, Adrian Pazdar also make appearances in this movie. Uh, this is not a movie I ever liked, ever. I saw it once a long time ago. Yeah. Watching it again, it, it is ridiculous very often, especially the music supervision in this film. It's nuts. But, you know, there's little nuggets here and there that I think, okay, you know, like Val Kilmer's trying for something interesting. I used to think Val Kilmer's character was just the jerk in the movie, and I'm like, okay, he's actually, there's more going on there with how Val Kilmer's playing that character than just being, like, the jerk to Tom Cruise's Maverick. And, And so, like, little tiny nuggets I can appreciate here and there, but... You know, and the movie's fairly thin. And and this is Tony Scott's second film, I believe. This was Tony Scott's breakout directorial film. And also Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer Mm. uh, produced this film, too. So it's notable for the people behind the camera as well. But not a good movie. Now, I will also note that we didn't get to finish the last twenty minutes of the film. I'm
1: surprised we're mentioning it. Actually.
0: because of life. Well, we saw all but the but look. We saw all but the last twenty minutes of the movie, and everything we saw provides context for mm-hmm. our next movie we're going to talk about. So, but what would you give the original Top Gun? A three. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's really harsh. I didn't expect that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you look like you just got punched in the gut.
0: No, and look, this is not like you saying X-Men 2 is a 3 or, or out of 10 or anything like that. I, I would give the movie a 4 out of 10. I'm not that far off of, of you from it, but clearly you, you hated this movie more than me, and I'm amused by that. However, mm-hmm. however I do think it is significant to watching the next movie... We are going to talk about which is Top Gun Maverick.
1: Yeah, I mean, it we absolutely had to watch the original.
0: Uh, and then and, and this is a movie, Top Gun Maverick is a movie that I didn't even think was likely to happen mm. for the longest time. It was one of those movies that every once in a while someone would be like, They should make a sequel to Top Gun, you know? Um, they're making a sequel to Tron, why not? It's Top Gun. And I was like, You know, the world's changed so much since. The mid to late 80s, like, is this even a thing that happens anymore? How would they even do a Top Mm. Gun movie? I was like, that's a bad idea. But we got one, and it's directed by Joseph Kosinski, who actually is the director of the Tron sequel, Tron Legacy, by the way.
1: Yeah. So experience in bringing something back from the dead.
0: I mean, kind of. Tron Legacy didn't have much of a cultural footprint, surprisingly. Uh, And I would argue that one is marginally better than the original Tron movie. But anyway, what did you think of Top Gun Maverick after watching the original Top Gun film?
1: It was a much better experience. It was more respectful of certain things, but it could have been better in other things, too. We had one female pilot being uh, featured with another one in the background. Doesn't even have a line. So it would have been nicer to have a couple more females in that program.
0: So the idea, by the way, is that there are 12 of the best of the best of best being taught by Maverick. And he has to eventually choose six of them to go on a mission.
1: And they're not sure if they're coming back from this mission. It's a pretty intense mission.
0: Exactly. It's almost a mission impossible.
1: (laughs) It's a mission like Star Wars, wombats and everything.
0: That is true. I actually pointed out to you, this is like Star Wars
1: times two. Well, I was like, this is kind of cool because this is like the practicality of Star Wars.
0: (laughs) That's true. Yes.
1: Which, what happened in this film is I had more respect for who I was seeing on screen Mm. and had more thought about members of the Naval Air Force. And... It's definitely it's got patriarchal elements to it because how can you not if you're have if you have a film about the military.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: Uh or featuring the military. Yeah. And I was kind of in awe when the mission when it came time to the mission mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I I was like, "Oh, wow, I had no idea." In Top Gun, you have no sense of what people are going through when they're flying and in the way that they are in there. Um, that, what do you call it? It's like killer dog, fighter dog. Oh, what? dog fight. Dog fight. Yeah. Uh, like, when I think dog fight, I think World War One and World
0: War Two. Sure, yeah. Pew,
1: pew, 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 pew. Right. And, and bad things because not well made. Well, not made well enough, I guess. You're I don't talking wanna, about the airplanes? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to piss anyone off. But okay. from my perspective, from what I've seen through media. Okay. And in this you get like Tom Cruise gives his character gives words to the situations mm-hmm. your spine is going to get smushed your right. head is gonna rock you know you're, I wasn't thinking about gravity force torque
0: yeah. affecting
1: the human body right. in these air, these fighter planes Yeah, and I enjoyed hearing about it mm-hmm. because I want to know like okay well what's actually happening when you guys are in there mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. And I enjoyed the characters more in this one. And I enjoyed the lack of saturation. <laughs> they mimic the first scene.
0: Yes. Yes. And
1: I thought that that was a great way to start it off.
0: I actually agree with you. And if they do it If you're a fan better. of the original, it gets you back into it.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a great way to kind of honor the first one. And it... <sighs> Like, look, we're focusing on the pilots, right? Mm-hmm. But in the first few minutes of the film, we're focusing on everyone that makes it possible for the pilots to do their job and be safe when yeah. they come back and leave right. uh, the uh, ship. and Aircraft character. The aircraft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. that. I like that. I like that it was shot more realistic. Mm. Uh, it looked... Th- and that was a great thing about this film, too. Everything was had a more real sense to it.
0: Yeah. So i almost didn't see this movie i because i didn't like the first film ever and i why would i give two shits about a sequel to a movie that i thought was bad and i only saw it because a we're doing this episode and it felt necessary to take into consideration and b because this thing has like a 90-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's something ridiculously high. And it's like, holy cow. Like, they actually made something thoughtful or whatever or interesting and riveting. And, and I, I will say, thank goodness. Whatever you might think about Tom Cruise's personal life, his religious beliefs, what he may or may not know, any of that. Thank goodness we have Tom Cruise the star. Because this guy is like practically this, him in the MCU pretty much are like the saviors <sighs> of cinema.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: and also like, there is nobody right now like Tom Cruise. Like not even Brad Pitt is like aiming for what Tom Cruise is doing as a star, which is like really trying to preserve the theatrical experience, mm-hmm. be the star of a movie and, and hold movies until it's safe for audiences to get their butts in seats once again and and experience the theatrical experience. And he's done this with Ex- Top Gun Maverick, yeah.
1: Experience it how it was intended,
0: exactly. And he's done doing this with the Mission Impossible movies, which mm-hmm. by the way, I we saw the, to see the, the trailer for that, oh and my I God. I could not be more excited. But so thank Christ for Tom Cruise, honestly. And he is, he actually makes me care in this film. And Mm. one of the ways he does that is first, he does the interesting thing of, not that he wrote, I don't know that he wrote the script or anything, but this film, it doesn't try to repeat the original it doesn't try to cram as many people from the original film into it and and try to be slavishly faithful to it it acknowledges and is informed by events from the original but also it's screenplay by Aaron kruger and eric warner Senior, christopher mccrory that makes sense the guy who's doing the mission impossible movies it also acknowledges that there have been 30 plus years, 35 years since the original film, which theoretically this character, Pete, uh, I can't remember his last name, uh, Maverick, has lived 30 years since we last saw him, which means he has had relationships with other people and he's 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 gotten to know people. And so there are people like Jennifer Colley who pop up who he's, of course, met and gotten to know in the interim since we last saw him. And I really appreciated that because it lent a, a degree of reality to the film and credibility to the film. And, and, and that's not something I see very often in these delayed sequels. And, and you're right. And then uh, about how the the flight sequences are filmed and what is emphasized in it. And also, one of the impressive things is there's a huge emphasis on, emphasis on making sure people come back and survive their missions, which is definitely not at top of mind in the 80s, you know? Yeah, So. I was really impressed and surprised by Top Gun Maverick. I think even if you're not a fan of the original, Mm -hmm. do a rewatch, remind yourself of it.
1: Get yourself some perspective. On
0: Netflix. And then go and check this out because I Mm -hmm. think you will be really impressed. Top Gun Maverick gets an 8 out of 10 from me.
1: Yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah.
0: All right. So that is the Week in Review. It's been a big one. We're going to move on now to the main event, which is our discussion of the year so far. Okay, love. All right, so we're in June now. Looking back at the year that has been so far, the first half of this year, we have seen between us both, because each of us has seen a movie that the or two that the other person hasn't seen mm-hmm. I think collectively we've seen around 14 or 15 movies
1: it's not a lot it's not a lot
0: now it's not a lot but it, it, it's a little bit lower and usually we see between 20 to 25 movies at this point so it's not a whole lot less than normal but it is a little less I, I think largely there's two factors one, there are a couple movies we didn't get to see that we wanted to. One was the biggest one was unbearable weight of massive talent with Nicolas cage. We had a period where we were sick when that dropped and we missed it at the theater ultimately mm. before we could see it. And then uh, after Jane was a much talked about or critically acclaimed limited release that we didn't get to see. It's just been unavailable to us. And I don't know if, Shanna, you're interested in seeing X, but that's one of the most highly praised horror films so far this year, and neither of us saw that one yet.
1: Yeah, that had Texas Chainsaw vibes, right?
0: It's sort of, but with a porn. But better. With a, like an adult film oh, sort okay. of slant.
1: Yeah, I don't know how... There's certain, certain horror films I'm okay seeing in the cinema, and certain ones I would prefer to watch with subtitles on
0: mute. So it just depends. I completely understand being the squeamish little wimp I am. <laughs> but there are there there's that and I think also the other thing is this has been so far a thinner year as well. There's not as many releases happening. Like the one weekend where there's like three things that came out at once it was like the bad guys, the unbearable weight of massive talent and the Northmen. That was actually unusual because the the release schedule in the theaters had been fairly thin. When Doctor Strange came out, nothing really came out after that. You had Firestarter and that was it. And even Firestarter was also streaming on Peacock. In addition to being a, in a the theater.
1: Bit of a quiet experience.
0: So and, and there's a lot, a lot more focus on stuff in uh, available to stream, which we don't really focus on because, you know, you open the door to that, then like you're opening the door to everything on streaming and such. And it just becomes like a slippery slope. So it's kind of been a thin year looking ahead. If you listen to our summer movie preview bonus episode, which I recommend you do, you'll also kind of see that reflected looking ahead as well. So it's been an unusual year, even though this is kind of like a year where... We're seeing movies that were filmed during COVID. We're not so much seeing movies that were delayed because of COVID. I think there's only like a couple, Top Gun Maverick being one of them. A couple big releases. It's interesting because yes, we are we haven't seen as much than usual, but I think there's a couple things affecting that, and let's largely it's just a thinner it's not as bountiful a year. Would you what have you what are your thoughts on that? What what have you noticed about the year so far?
1: It's definitely an odd year. I I can't remember how I felt about last year because, again, that was a year that was recovering from 2020 and 2020 in itself was its own thing. And so I feel like, yes, we're still dealing with post uh, quarantine and pandemic related issues. And even though we're getting, we think we're getting to it, but we we seem to be getting to a better place, I think that, uh, you know, if Tom Cruise allowed Top Gun to, uh, you know, go to the theaters. There's got to be hope, right? Because that was the one person that we know of that was really holding out. Right. So far, there's some good stuff that's come up Mm. and movies that have good ideas and movies that have been somewhat updated and some movies that have disappointed. So Mm. it's an odd year. I don't think it's easy for me to focus on what has already happened i'm i'm too busy looking at what's coming for summer because mm. th- there is a bunch not all of it i'm looking forward to but there is a lot of stuff coming
0: huh okay i i i i, I feel like it's it's thin there's a handful of things coming but you know, people can listen to the summer movie preview to hear a little bit about that and and uh, share their thoughts on that but let's look at the box office so far this year shall we Let's do it. Okay, so the top five. Let's look at just the top five of this year. Do you want to take any guesses as to what were, so far, the five highest grossing movies of the year?
1: I know this is weird, but did Spider-Man come out this year?
0: No, no, no. That was December.
1: Oh, geez. Okay. Well.
0: I mean, it probably had some box office in January. So but you... You're talking about yeah m- releases this year. So you want
1: me to guess who's in who's possibly in the top five? If you want, okay. Everything, everywhere, all at once is possibly in there. Okay. Doctor Strange into the multiverse is probably in there. Okay. I wonder if Top Gun has made it. Ah. It's only it's it's first weekend while we're talking right now. Right. But I wonder if it made it. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I guess that's all I got in me right now. What about what have we got?
0: Okay, so let me see if any of your guesses have made it. And two of your guesses actually have made it into the top five. Here's the top five. Number five. Uncharted. $147.7 really? uh, million. The adaptation of the video game. Number four. Top Gun Maverick, already in its first weekend, topped the entire run of Uncharted with $156 million.
1: Must feel good.
0: (laughs) Number three, Sonic the Hedgehog 2.
1: I knew there was a a movie geared to the kids that I forgot about.
0: $185.1 million. Number two, the second highest grossing movie of the year so far, The Batman
1: oh god i forgot
0: 369.3 million dollars and number one beating the batman so far this year doctor strange in the multiverse of madness 375.4 million dollars it's beating the batman by six million dollars so
1: not not too bad
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm yep and and it's actually a distant huge gulf between the number five and number six by 46 million dollars we're talking a difference between uncharted and lost city which i think is is kind of interesting and the fantastic beasts the secrets of dumbledore hasn't even broken a hundred million dollars yet
1: which i i guess is
0: bad for a for a movie that is ostensibly a part of the Harry Potter franchise, yeah, yeah, that's god awful. And no, uh, while everywhere, everywhere,
1: everything, everywhere, all at once,
0: while everything, everywhere, all at once, is doing very well for an A twenty four film and having very low percentage drops week by week, it is not enough to make the top ten. The lowest at ten was 73 million when that is Morbius. So
1: I wonder what it's on.
0: I would have to look that up. So that is what we're looking at for the box office of the year so far. Shanna, we usually talk also about in wrapping up this discussion, our picks for the worst movie of the year and so far. And Our picks for the five best movies of the year so far. Mm. You are showing me now the box office of Everywhere, Everything Everywhere, all at once.
1: They're close.
0: Domestically, it is $57.5 million. Worldwide, $66.6 million. So it's not really earning a lot internationally, which is interesting. Um, must not be released in China, I'm guessing, which is interesting, uh, considering it's about a Chinese immigrant. <laughs> but uh, that's that's actually pretty good for a movie like that. Anyway, let's talk about our picks for the worst movie of the year. Would you like to go first, Shanna? Based on all the movies you've seen so far this year, what is your pick for the worst?
1: Oh, you know, it's probably Death on the Nile. It's the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express with the Hercule Poirot character. So his own little franchise, you know. I guess. And it stars Gal Gadot.
0: And a bunch of other people. A
1: bunch of other people. Who cares? A bunch of other people. (laughs) It's got Gal Gadot, damn it. (laughs) She's the main actress right up front in the poster.
0: Why is it your pick for the worst movie of the year so far?
1: It was just poorly executed. And while the cinematography is trying to be lush and rich in those warm yellow and orange tones of that what we think of uh, when we think of Egypt, it just doesn't stick its landing. Hmm. Some of the performances by certain actors are flimsy. It, it there is weird shot there are weird shots that happen shots that don't make sense it doesn't make sense that we have murder on the orient express ending how it did and then this is and then how this movie started it it's a total disconnect if you're going to end one movie in a please you're needed in egypt right for so and so or whatever and that's not how you're starting the film? hmm That's a problem.
0: My understanding is that's not how the movie's first half is, right?
1: It's like he's on vacation. Uh-huh. It's not He's, he's, he's taking his time, which if, if that is how the movie started and not how the last movie ended, I'd be fine with that, right. I think. Yeah. But because you had such a, a rush to telegram from Egypt and you must go now. Okay, but why? Right. Why, why did he need to go? And right. then we have a couple flashbacks that happen. And while I'm, I'm perfectly happy learning more about the character, Poirot, it just wasn't done well.
0: And 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 uh, I hear there is a origin story for Poirot's mustache in the film as well. Yeah.
1: That did not make any sense to me whatsoever, and <laughs> I I unfortunately might have missed one detail maybe but i don't have it in me to go watch it again Uh uh-huh so uh uh, that is why it is on my my list for the worst film so far this year
0: okay so my pick for the worst movie of the year will not surprise a lot of people but i do Mm. think that I, i do think this movie is more watchable than a lot of people would lead you to believe. Hmm. It's just the movie with the most problems, where when I really thought about it, we, we did it made a review, I think, of it. When I really thought about it, I had a hard time defending it and justifying it. It is Morbius. Sony is Morbius. not a bad pick. Jared Leto. Mm. Of all the movies that I've seen so far this year, this has the mo- biggest list of problems by far it's watchable it's not it's not a chore to get through, but it's Isn't not it? good nah you know it is like kind of already become the joke of the year and in, in terms of you know movie releases and it was supposed to be a big release for Sony Pictures, and it was supposed to add on top of their venom movies there's just so much stuff that happens, especially like there's like post credit scenes that is just kind of nonsense in this film. And mm. there's a lot of stuff that just adds up a lot of small things that just add up. And yeah, check our review of Morbius for more thoughts on that film. And that might give you an idea of why it's my pick for the worst movie of the year. All right, Shanna, Now, what we typically do for the best of the year, five best movies of the year so far, is we create a composite list, right? And based on our own individual picks, and usually there will be two or three movies that we both independently pick that'll help shape our five movies. In this case... We pretty much agreed 100% on the top four films, and we had a divide on the fifth best movie of the year. So, we have a tie for that spot. We're going to talk about our respective picks for the fifth best movie of the year so far. Shanna, why don't you go first? with your pick of the fifth best film of the year so far
1: for me it is the bad guys this is something i'd been looking forward to ever since i read the books and i only did read the books because i had heard about the
0: movie
1: mm. uh, coming and it was a great investment of my time and so once i got through book 15 16 i started getting worried because i thought Oh man, is this going to become the new franchise? Uh, it's based on the books by Aaron Blaby and it's directed by Pierre Perifel and it stars Sam Rockwell, Mark Marin, Aquafina, Craig Robinson, and a bunch of others. It's a story about the dilemma of what happens if you are perceived to be a bad guy based on your appearance and you want to be good mm. and you've been bad for so long, you've embraced bad for so long. What do you do when you are conflicted between good and bad? And uh-huh. how does that affect not only you, but your relationships as well? And I, I thought they executed it very well. It turns out it's not really a franchise thing that they're trying to start. Uh, however, if they What do started, you mean by that? Well, it's I got the sense from this movie that this is the one movie. Like okay. they're not like going... Like a one-off? Sh- one yeah, they're not going to do like three uh-huh, uh-huh. or anything okay. like that. They took the concepts of the books
0: mm-hmm.
1: and executed it very well in a single movie. Mm.
0: That's a pretty good pick. I think you you appreciate that movie more than me, but I was very favorable of that that film. I do like that film of all the the movies targeted towards kids and families. I think that's one of the better ones of the year. However, my pick for the fifth best movie of the year is a movie we very much disagree on. It is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, a film that I think is very distinct and it brings a kind of new life and a refreshing uh, direction to the MCU. And when I say direction, I mean as in from the director, Sam Raimi. There's a lot of creative choices made by Sam Raimi that you don't see a a lot of uh, a director flourishes in the MCU. Sometimes they'll hire a really notable director and the director kind of gets buried under the MCU-ness of everything. And this isn't the case. I think there's some really great stuff. There's some major surprises in this film uh, the the marketing for the film was fantastic because it left everything so vague and so you really have no understanding of anything really that you see in the trailer as it happens or goes down in the film. I, I just really appreciate Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's one of the best films, probably one of the ten best of the MCU, but it's not like end game level or anything like that i just really solid film so it's my pick for the fifth best film of the year so far shanna i guess it's my turn to talk about the fourth best film of the year so far yeah hmm you're glaring at me for some reason i just
1: i i didn't like that film <laughs> yeah i didn't that
0: movie for more, but you did so yeah for more on our thoughts on that film definitely check out our review of dr strange and multiverse of madness and you can hear shanna's thoughts as well so our fourth best movie of the year so far is top gun maverick we talked a little bit about it earlier and i think it is the biggest surprise of the year who knew that a movie as a sequel, 35 years later, would be so, so superior to the original and such a crowd pleaser and one of the best experiences in the theater so far this year. I certainly didn't expect it. I very nearly dismissed this film. Thanks to the buzz around it, I had the pleasure of experiencing this film. Some people actually argue that IMAX is the only way to experience this film. I can understand why that would be based on some of the Mm. many shots in the film, and the
1: sound as well.
0: Yes, the sound as well. So that is our pick for the fourth best film of the year. Shannon, what's our third best film of the year so far?
1: It's The Northman. We've spoken about this at the beginning of this episode but just a reminder it's Robert Egger's film and it's about a Viking played by Alex Skarsgård that wants to take revenge for his father's death and his mother being taken Uh, and it also stars Nicole Kidman Ethan Hawke my favorite part of this film is watching Anna Taylor-Joy Uh, take on the role of a witch and I I loved the depiction of it and I thought she did a phenomenal job. She was my favorite part of this film.
0: Yeah we didn't talk about Anya Taylor-Joy and I have to say well she's one of the it girls of the moment. She gives a really strong performance in that film.
1: I I really I, I loved her. I thought she was great.
0: Okay so our pick for the second best movie of the year this is a movie where after i experienced it and exceeded all my expectations and i was like holy shit i just watched the best movie of the year so far it was topped by a movie that came later but it is matt reeves the batman i mm, nice pick did not well you picked it too as the second <laughs> best movie of the year Uh, I did not think it was possible for them to really be able to make a film on par with The Dark Knight as the best Batman movie ever. And, you know, some people argue that Mask of the Phantasm, the animated movie, is the best Batman movie ever.
1: I I do like that Batman movie.
0: I do understand. I totally get that. But live action movie, uh, this is up there. And I was blown away by it. It's got some interesting things it's saying. It has a version of the Riddler we have never seen before in print or on screen and is just riveting and thrilling. Boy, when the Batmobile debuts, holy hell, that is one of the best moments Mm -hmm. of the year so far. Listen to our review of the Batman to hear more of our thoughts.
1: I love this film so much. I I'm going to need to watch all the Batman movies again, at least the live action ones, to re-rank, but I think mm. this one would rank pretty high up there because it is so succinct and so updated to what the issues are that we're facing right now, and that's what makes that's the privilege of getting to make a Batman movie. You can you can redo it after 5 years, mm. but you sure as hell better have something that's going to speak to the times that we're in right now so that people can go and look at that years from now and be able to connect it to what was happening in society at the time.
0: Without being totally dated. And, and, and I will say, you know, at, at almost three hours, it's not exactly succinct, but you're spot on. Um, I, I 100% agree with you and your, your broader point.
1: And a surprise performance. I, like, I know that you have a lot of respect for Robert Pattinson, but I'm still yeah. learning to trust him. So Yeah, I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen
0: all of his movies, but I, I've learned that he can act. Mm. <laughs> all right, Shanna, so what is our pick for the best movie of the year so far?
1: It's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once by A24, The Daniels,
0: the Daniels. The Daniels.
1: The insane Daniels. <laughs> um, if you've seen some some of their music videos, you're like, and that makes sense.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, uh, Starring Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Su.
0: Keehu Kwon. James Hong,
1: And so many. And let's not forget Jamie Lee Curtis yep. uh, with a, a fun appearance by Jenny Slate. Right. We, we spoke at length about this film at some point in one yeah, of the episodes. we did a
0: review, I believe.
1: Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if we did. I absolutely adore this film. I am in love with Michelle Yeoh. I think she could do anything. She could make a fart joke, and I would think she is amazing. And just the, how professional she is, how, how everyone brought their A game to this film. This film is about a Chinese immigrant who is swept up in an insane adventure and really uh, only she can save the world by traveling the multiverse and uh, this is an absolutely insane amazing wonderful emotional roller coaster roller coaster of an adventure. Where we get to follow Michelle Yeoh as a Chinese immigrant, save the world in a unique way, a uh, unique concept, w- while still being grounded and anchored in realistic, relatable family relationship um dynamics yeah dynamics yeah i just i absolutely love this film we've watched it twice already it was the film i wanted to watch on my birthday and we went we were so lucky that the film was still there to go view
0: yes absolutely and actually we didn't do a main review of this film but we did talk a bit about it back in episode 131 our review of sonic the hedgehog 2 yeah and i 100% agree with you there's a a lot it's a very rich film it's got a lot going on with it there's plenty to dissect and from what i'm hearing from a lot of asian americans it is a wonderful depiction of the family dynamics in in an american asian family so I think there's a lot to appreciate. It is by far the best film of the year, and it is so encouraging to see it continue to do well in the theater in in its ninth or tenth week at this point, and that just doesn't happen. So everything, everywhere, all at once, we are big fans of, and it is our pick for the best movie of the year so far. But what do you think about the year so far? Far what are your picks for not your favorite movies, but your picks for the best and the worst movies of the year? We might be we might would we'll be very interested in hearing your thoughts on that. Feel free to email us at the Gibson review at gmail.com. And that'll do it for this episode of the Movie Lovers. Shanna, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you share with everyone where they can find you online?
1: You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography or on Flick Chart, Spellbinding A.
0: Go to thegibsonreview.com. Please go check out the James Bond articles. It's under reviews and features, and it's also uh, visible on the main page. Go follow on social media, facebook.com slash Review and on Instagram, The Gibson 99. We do bracket polls there. The most recent one we are in the middle of doing is your favorite horror novel adaptations. You can... I might be wrapped up by the time you're hearing this. So you can find out the results of that on The Gibson 99 on Instagram. And I'm on Flickchart as well. The Gibson 99. I really need to update that because I don't think I have any 2022 movies on there. Next time on The Movie Lovers. If you haven't already, first of all, check out our bonus episode, Summer Movie Preview. We referenced it a few times in this episode. Feel free to check out what we're looking forward to in the summer. Maybe there's some things you didn't even know about that's coming down the line that this will expose you to. Also, in the next proper episode of The Movie Lovers, our main event review will be Jurassic World Dominion. Not a movie I'm looking forward to, but a movie I'm sure you'll be interested in hearing about. And I think Shanna actually has is more looking forward to it than me.
1: I am somewhat looking forward to this. There, there were a couple moments in the trailer where I was like, "Oh, that might actually be really fun."
0: Also, we will be doing a film faves list of our favorite John Williams scores. Last year, I'm so excited. (laughs) Last year, we did our film favorite scores of all time, but we excluded John Williams specifically from that list. You did. We did. You, You did. We did because it would be very easy to pepper such a list with John Williams' work. So we will be focusing explicitly on his body of work in that episode since... He is responsible for the iconic score and theme to Jurassic Park that everyone has done their own version of in every film since, including Jurassic World Dominion's trailer. So, look forward to that on Tuesday, June 21st. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying...
1: Bye-bye.